This is Sarah Bordeev, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode of PodSAM, we're talking about the future. This is the final episode in our special six-episode Summit Series run, but not to worry, we've got a lot more coming your way. On this episode, we're talking with mentors Kim Mayhew, President and COO of Solitude Mountain Resort in Utah, Jay Scambio, President and General Manager of Loon Mountain in New Hampshire, Nadia Guerrero, who at the time of this conversation was the Vice President and General Manager for North Star California, but is now Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Beaver Creek Resort in Colorado, and Steve Wright, President and General Manager of J Peak Resort, Vermont. As with our other episodes, this audio is derived from actual conference calls so that there is the standard call interference, but it's totally worth it. Plus, stay tuned to the end of the episode when we'll share a very special announcement. With that, we'll hand it off to Paul Tallner of High Peaks Group. This is going to be about the future, and we're going to turn the mic over to the future of the industry, the mentees, to lead us and ask the questions of our mentors today. So we'll dive right in. The first question is from Colin Russell, claims manager at Vail Resorts. Do you think the trend of acquisition and consolidation will continue in the industry and extend beyond North America? And then kind of second to that, what effect will this have on growth and creation of new skiers? This is Kim. Um, You know, the trend, I I believe, yes. I believe that is a, a trend. Um, And I think that it's going to have a huge effect on the growth and creation of some new skiers. Just kind of looking into the future, as many of you know, the uh, 2022 Olympics um, will be held in um, China. And I think the focus, having having been on uh, 1.4 billion people um, in terms of snow sports, I think is to all of our advantage. I think that the you know the ski resorts in China are kind of up and coming. They don't get tons of snow, but you know there's a Asia pole, and a lot of people from China may experience um, a Japanese ski experience, maybe a South Pacific ski experience like New Zealand, and then perhaps even the United States. So, I I think acquisition and consolidation will continue. And I think its effect will grow skiers. I wholeheartedly agree with Kim. I think, um, you know, I think I think acquisition and consolidation will continue uh, even in the, in the U.S., where there are still some um, independent resorts. And I do think, yes, that the sort of the next frontier is uh, Asia, Europe, Japan. Etc. You know, and and I think you know our our company certainly Vail Resorts has has um, has some past partnerships in both Japan and Europe, um, and so I think that you know, and, and I'm not sure what that'll look like in the future in terms of actual full-on acquisition and consolidation, but there certainly has been a creation of a relationship being created between you know our company and these resorts at this point, and I I can imagine. Um, a future that where that continues, and um, 
I think, yeah, that, that will have a big effect on growth. I think the point about the Olympics is, is a big one. China is a large co- country with a lot of people. And I believe, I'm, you know, I've heard something about some sort of, there's a, you know, a, a skiing mandate of some sort that's happening in, in China, um, which, you know, means that, that, you know, the, the population there is, is being asked to focus on skiing as a sport and learning to ski. And I think that that's, wonderful and i and uh, i think it will have a big effect on the creation of new skiers and and therefore growth can i um jump in here paul i'd love to get steve to um jump in on this uh question just as an independent resort um and uh the, the question steve about consolidation and um mega passes and the their effect on the growth and creation of new skiers do you have a yeah i mean to- I don't disagree with anything that's been said about the potential for, you know, the, uh, th- those markets to open up eventually. I think there's a long tail uh, over there in terms of turning, uh, turning them from a, a casual day visitor into, into, um, into actual skiers or, or actual snowboarders. Um, I think that right now, you know, the resort aggregators are, are uh, are more concerned with with growing market share, which um, as as a for-profit business makes a lot of sense. But there's a lot of, of diminishing returns that once you bought all of those skier business um, and stolen that share, which as a as a business is the smart thing to do. But once you once you once you've taken those visits, the only way to get more people is to create them. Um, and I think that that's going to take some coordination and and probably a longer view than what we're currently doing as a as an industry um you know if, if you look at what we're doing now to to grow the sport um you know our, our coordinated learn to ski learn to ride campaign is relegated to a a learn to ski and snowboard day on january 11th uh which works great for the uh for the resorts who really don't want to give up prime time space to these sorts of programs but it probably doesn't do a lot to really showcase our sport in the right light. It'd be like, you know, offering a learn to golf program the first week of March at five o'clock. You know, you're not you're not <laughs> showcasing uh, things in in the manner that you probably should be to attract new skiers and snowboarders. So I think as an industry, we have got to figure out a way to take a lot more seriously this notion of growing skiers uh, organically uh, than just taking them from one another. Quite frankly. This next question comes from Tess Hobbs, Assistant Director of Marketing at Snowbird Utah. Hi, guys. Yeah, my question is also on mega passes. Um, with all the focus uh, around resorts that are included on these mega passes like Icon and Epic, um, what do you think the future entails for resorts that are not included on these offerings? Well, I, this is Jay. I'll try to go first here. Uh, that's a great question. And I don't think that that's anything to be scared of not being included in, in one of the uh, one of the large mega pass pieces. Um, I I think the the future for for a resort that is in that boat is to focus on is to focus on what they do. Um, you know, think about uh, how you are going to um, adjust your market offerings and uh, and capitalize on the things that you do really well. What are your strong suits? What are the things that um, drive people to your resort or your community um, that that make you uh, really stand out? Um, and, and also look at, you know, are you 
and there are some some of these, and some people hate to use the term, but um, are you a feeder resort? And if if you are, what are what should you be really pushing on? You should be focusing on um, beginner conversion and introducing people into the sport and really showcasing that beginner experience that you could offer. Does it does it mean you have to compete with what uh, what Epic might be doing for a season pass offering? It doesn't necessarily. So. To me, it's about it's about focusing on what you should what you can provide and what you can do really well as as a resort property and what products you have that could be unique um, to your location. Yeah, I mean, Jane's right, uh, Tess. I mean, there's uh, there there's all these opportunities when when you know an entire industry or or any kind of a trend really sort of heads in one direction by looking and and focusing the the other way. I mean, if you look at you know, even your marketing, the stuff that you guys have done there, it's certainly a means of getting attention by virtue of doing things in a different way than everybody else is. And you sort of automatically get exposure to, to the audience by getting their attention that way. So I think that as resorts, like Jay said, continue to figure out what their strategy is, it may be that we are going to, you know, we're going to market ourselves as we are not them. Uh, I think the, the trick with that is can you make enough money to keep investing in the resort via that that model because as the market starts to ski these bigger, more developed resorts, their expectations elevate too. And it makes it hard, quite frankly, for smaller resorts to be able to, de to deliver against that. I think, you know, to answer your question directly, I think 10 years from now, there'll be 15% less ski resorts. I think a, a combination of climate and a lack of business. And if we don't focus on it or, or, or graduating skiers out of the sport, uh, and if we don't focus on it, a lack of new people coming in is going to make it very difficult for that for that uh, the, the mega small, like Jay said, feeder resort uh, to stay in business. And and for those middle of the road resorts that aren't connected to a to a bigger uh, a bigger holding company that has access to capital, it it puts a real a real onus on them to be very honest with themselves about who they are and what they can deliver and what they can can bring to guests and then coming up with a really good plan to, to bring, bring that about. The PodSAM conversation continues after we thank PodSAM and Summit Series partner, Mountain Guard. How many skier visits are you doing? 5,000? 5 million? I'm going to guess it's somewhere in between. Specializing exclusively in insuring the ski industry since 1962, Mountain Guard has become the largest writer of ski resort insurance in North America. No matter your size, your resort needs the expertise and experience that Mountain Guard can provide. Click on over to mountainguard.com or you'll be able to make quick contact with their Eastern or Western experts. Customers know them as Tim Barnhorst, Tim Hendrickson, and Bo Adams. www.mountainguard.com The next question comes from Greg Valerio, Bike Park and Mountain Sports Shop Manager, Wyndham, New York. Greg? What are some areas of resort operations you feel are particularly overlooked and may create challenges in the future? Um, you know, Greg, it's hard to identify, you know, um, what other area resorts um, operations might be overlooked. Um, but the question that you, you pose is really good because I think it, it focuses in, on um, the fact as a resort operator um, you're not the expert on everything that, that should be happening at your resort. And so taking, take lodging, for instance. I'm not an expert in lodging. But as a mountain person, I know that I need to hire somebody really good at 
um, directing our lodging operation. So I think it comes down to hiring the best and making sure you cover all your bases with um, good people. It is a good question. I thought about I saw this beforehand. I thought about it a little bit, and I didn't come up with anything uh, particularly compelling, but I, I would say that it's, you know, you want to focus on, on these shoulder seeds and creating shoulder seeds and amenities. And the problem becomes that that happens during a time where you lose a wide section of your staff, your resources dry up, nobody wants to spend any money in the shoulder seasons. Um, but there's an investment piece there that you have to sort of force yourself into because it can help save off those losses that you have in the shoulder season. So a long way around saying, you know, it's not necessarily a department that doesn't get focused, but maybe a uh, maybe a strategy that doesn't get enough focus is you know trying to figure out ways to plug those shoulder seasons with with um, with activities and amenities that help help uh, make your loss a little bit more palatable. I, um, I I agree with Kim and Steve, and as Kim was talking, I started thinking a little differently about that question when I when I first uh, heard it from Greg. I got all bottled up thinking about operations and it's really easy especially to look at my my own resort at the, at this time and think about our aging workforce from an operation standpoint and um, the wealth of knowledge that exists right now in and let's just say our 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 electricians that we have on staff who are, are getting older or our lift mechanics um, even our snow making team and and even something that I think is overlooked a lot your grounds and property maintenance team um, what they have in their head that isn't necessarily in, in anybody's hands is it's 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 uh, it's unquantifiable really. Um, but as I listen to Kim, especially, you start to think about you know um, it's really every facet of your property. I could I could actually point out um, our, our product and ticketing uh, people who who are setting up uh, everything in RTP for us. Um, there's a just a small handful of them here and they're invaluable to what we do and how we set up products in order to track long-term. So it's really, it is about your entire property. Um, and I think for us, as we, as we go through this, um, cause we, like I said, we are right now for us, it's about, um, we're starting to document everything that everybody knows and trying to pass that down to the team that we're kind of mentoring into some of those roles and then getting into a mindset of, continuing to document what we do and where things are. And, and, and you can think pretty simple about this, like where the vault for this high voltage is. And if we're going to do a project in the future, are we going to cross that vault? And knowing that before we get to it could save us, you know, thousands of dollars. But um, it, it's, it can be a lot simpler than that too. And just how an RTP products is, is set up in, uh, in our system. So it's an interesting problem, but it's one that you, I think you, continue to work on every day and you make it a point with your team to make sure they know that um, operationally everybody is valuable, especially as Steve said, when we get into a business where we lose a lot of, a lot of help a little bit. And then we kind of, some cases we hope they come back and yes, they came back. Great. And we're good for another season. Um, but you really need to like bottle that stuff up and pass it down. This is Nadia. Can yeah, I chime in too? Yeah, please, Nadia, go ahead. Well, just because sort of on the heels of, of that comment, I mean, I, I think that that's I think that that's part of it, but I think that that also exposes kind of the the challenge of 
that I'm sure we're all experiencing, but that challenge of just hiring and finding people to to work in general. And I think some of what was mentioned about shoulder season and amenities is critical because then, you know, you can create more year-round jobs. Um, so that's a piece of it. But I think that, you know, hiring and finding good people and finding people to replace some of these uh, longer-term employees is just, it's getting more and, and more difficult. Um, you know, the the value proposition for employees in our in our industry has changed over the years and so for us as resort operators figuring out what is that value proposition for employees what is important to these newer generations that have different values and are motivated differently and so once we've got all that you know historical knowledge and institutional knowledge documented we've got to have people to pass it down to and I think that's one of the things is how do we create how do we how do you know how do we solve the problem of getting enough people here but also then how do we uh, create the next generation of leaders and leadership and, and really, you know, we're talking about this a little bit in, in terms of um, at the California Ski Industry Association uh, board that I sit on and we, we're talking about really like, yeah, how do we find that next generation of leaders? How do we grow people into wanting to, to do these jobs? There's so many more options now than, you know, maybe when some of us were, were looking at what we wanted to do with our, our lives and our careers, you know, how do we continue to build on and create that employee value proposition so that we have people to pass these handbooks or um, guidelines onto once we gather them out of our, our historical work or, or our, our workforce that's aging. Such an important point, really, uh, when you think about, um, you know, just the broader context, too, of the fact of the, of that it's such a job seekers market right now. People have so many choices. Um, the value proposition becomes even more critical when you're not you're not just competing with uh, you know other resorts, but you know other industries as well. That's very challenging indeed. Uh, appreciate that. Um, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. I'd love to uh, introduce Eric Kurtzman, sales manager at Diamond Peak, Nevada, uh, with his question. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. On the global stage, we see youth sports, outdoor leadership, and adventure learning programs seem to be on the rise. Do you believe that resorts in our industry associations can provide more opportunities for winter sports to be placed back into the public education curriculum? If so, how? You know, from Noon's point of view, we've we've um, taken the bull by the horns on some of this. Uh, we, we do have quite a bit of of local. We're, you know, we're up in the mountain, up in the White Mountains, New Hampshire, and quite a few local. Uh, Elementary school groups are are here on a weekly basis uh, for the next you know six weeks basically minus vac minus uh, Christmas vacation, um, but we have have made it an effort to to reach out to these folks and send send teams from our resort to to go to to the schools and help kind of educate and in some cases through word of mouth uh, just find out that there's a champion somewhere at at this elementary school that might not have a curriculum or a program and and go see them and see how we could help them what are their roadblocks for really coming to the resort or any resort I guess because there's quite a few around um, it, you know is, is it financial is it is it just the the um, logistics of, of the busing and getting the kids there and equipment what is it um, yeah I'll also go out and say we you know, we started um, we have three schools in the in the um, area that we're doing uh, Burton's uh, Riglet uh, snowboarding PE program. Uh, so basically a, a dry dry training in a gym, um, a bunch of equipment that 
Burton came up with on how to teach kids how to snowboard. And um, our, our snow sports director went and ran with that, and he found some great PE uh, teachers to work with. And we've seen some, some pretty good um, visitation by those folks coming in. So some of it's thinking outside the box on a few little things you could try and do. Um, not every, not every uh, place really offers a lot of snowboarding. Loon tends to do that more so than others around here, but it's just another avenue to try and introduce skiing and snowboarding to people. Um, so I, I think it's, like I said, thinking outside the box a little bit and trying to find local champions, but then also as the resort, put the, put, um, put some emphasis on maybe not making the most money, but reaching out to some of these local um, schools and really making a connection to get them to come and just try it. Thanks. I think it's, I think it's a good question. Um, and I think, you know, it's an interesting one in that, um, you know, working with the schools and public education, I'm not, I guess what I'd say is I'm not totally sure that that's always the best way to go, you know, in terms of, you know, our public schools sort of need to be focused on what they've got going on. But, but similar to what was just mentioned, you know, we do some of that as well. The Burton Riglet things, lids on kids, you know, having, having ski patrol go into schools and things like that, which, you know, sort of bringing the mountains to the to the children. Um, one of the other things that our that our company has done, and um, well, I'll talk about two other things actually. Through our Epic Promise um, giving efforts, one of our focus is on um, education and children. And so, in each of our resort communities, we put a big focus on supporting nonprofit organizations that are bringing children to the mountains uh, for a mountain experience, whether it be through Boys and Girls Club, through it be, you know, whether it be developmentally disabled um, or lower income or things like that, to really bring them to the mountains and have an experience that they maybe wouldn't otherwise get and, 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 it, and sometimes are not getting through the, through the public education system. So we support programs like that um, across all of our resort communities. And then in Colorado, Utah, and now Whistler, um, we have a, a program called Epic School Kids, which is, uh, it varies, but it's anywhere from four to five days of free skiing for kindergartners through fifth grade. So, um, and that's a, that's something that, that the kids go on and register online and, um, and then they get, they get free four or five days in either Colorado, Utah, or Whistler, Black Home, based on where they live. And, um, we've seen a lot of success with that as well. So providing that opportunity for kids to come and have an experience at our mountains free of charge. So um, I think, you know, I was kind of thinking about this one. I, I went out and took a couple of runs just before this call, and I was thinking about, about the kids and just, you know, I, I talk with various people on chairlifts and things. I was just thinking about I was I was skiing with this man who um, was in his late 60s and had been skiing forever, and I, I, I see such a difference between people who learn to ski when they were children and, and how they make this part of their life and their lifestyle, and it's really key to growing the sport is, is, is everything that you're, you commented on, Eric, and, and these youth sports and outdoor leadership and bringing these programs um, to kids in any way we can, see, we can see to do that, and I guess what I would say is I just don't, I don't think that public education is the only outlet and the only way to do it. We'll be right back after we thank PodSAM and Summer Series partner, Leitner Palma. Leitner Palma of America moves people. Literally, that's what they do, move people. 
They offer a complete line of cable transport systems from surface lifts to chairlifts to gondolas. Leitner Palma can design, engineer, manufacture, and maintain the transportation systems that get you to the top. Check out leitner-palma.com and touch base with the lift experts on their team. www.leitner-palma.com I'd like to introduce uh, this question for Steve and Nadia. Uh, Rick Hurley, Revenue Manager at Snowshoe West Virginia. Rick? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, my question centers around uh, the concept of pre-book. So um, what are your thoughts on the evolution of pre-book options, for example, in tickets um, with yield view? Do you see resorts pushing more incentives for pre-book in order to capture the revenue earlier and better forecast visits? And you know, do you envision guests to eventually pre-book all their activities for an upcoming trip? I mean, I think I think pre-booking is absolutely critical, and um, and yeah, I mean, I I think that the business model is right. You do have to incentivize people to to pre-book and to commit early, and um, it's it's critical, especially you know, given some of the weather challenges that those of us had. I mean, we had four years of drought here in Tahoe, and um, you know, I, I'm not sure what it would have looked like if we hadn't pre-sold um, and pre-booked, you know, even things from season passes. I mean, that's really a pre-booking, right? Um, the, the sale of season passes. And, and those are now between, you know, across the resorts, certainly between Icon and Epic passes, those are heavily incentivized. Um, you're heavily incentivized to buy your pass early um, and to commit your dollars to um, to skiing for the winter. And so I think, yes, it's, it's, it's critical. It's a critical business strategy it's it's critical for all of us um you know to secure that revenue but it does also help us better forecast visits especially when you start getting into things like yeah pre-booking lodging um lessons all those types of things i mean i'm sure everyone on the phone right now is looking at the booking trends for this next week to three weeks um depending on on your theories about whether or not the holiday is going to be two weeks or three weeks long um, I know we just talked about it in our senior team meeting this morning, just looking at, you know, how we're pacing against last year, what we're seeing. Um, and for us, I would say, yeah, if I, if I could have guests pre-book all of their activities, that would be amazing. <laughs> so I, I would definitely, I definitely envision a future where that is, where that is possible and where it's really easy to do online and with, you know, and without having to call the call center um, where people can really, pre-book and it's, it makes the decision easy um, and they know what they're what they're signing up for and they're committed. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great question and I think it's uh, a critical piece for, I know for us and I would say probably for most resorts. Yeah, this, this is Steve. Um, just, uh, agree 100%. I mean, there's no downside to having these folks uh, book well in advance depending upon how much how much of an incentive you're putting out there? How much of an ADR hit do you give up? Are you giving up 25% in order to have somebody book in August for Christmas when you might have them book at rack or, or 10% if it's closer in? I think to the extent that you as a, as a business have these weatherproof amenities that you can hang your hat on that, um, that the guest feels more comfortable in, in booking um, with, a, with, a, with a longer horizon, um, that if the weather goes south, they'll still have something to do with the resort. 
I think you can back off of those discounts earlier on in the game. I mean, the reality of it is, it, at least for us here, um, we don't feel a lot of comfort with people booking ahead only because, you know, if there's a situation where, you know, the resort has 10 trails open uh, at, during Christmas week, we're not going to, we're not, generally we will not hold people to that if they feel like um, the only reason that they came here was to get a ski experience. I would rather, you know, we try to, when we can, take a longer perspective on the relationship with the guests other than trying to stick their 1500 bucks in our pockets for that one time because we've, we've got a, uh, uh, you know, a cancellation policy that doesn't work for them. We'll, you know, maybe take uh, 70% of that, let them come and still push that forward where they can, where they can use that on, a, uh, on another vacation. But, you know, from a cash flow perspective, and you're a revenue manager, right, Rick? I mean, as, from a cash flow perspective, being able to take that vacation and, and book it forward uh, obviously helps everybody. So not sure that answered anything, but. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, well, this, this next question is for uh, the two of you, Kim and Jay. Uh, and uh, I'd like, and it comes from Hunter Steinkamp, Snow Sports Sales Manager, Crystal Mountain, Michigan. Hunter? Thank you. So um, my question is, what future technological advancements do you view as vital or game-changing for the industry in the future? Um, technology is um, moving in such a fast pace. You know, I don't see a silver bullet per se, but anything that would make our guests' experiences less stress stressful, um, we're competing with people throwing their bikini in a suitcase and going on a cruise. And so technology is really going to be the support for those of us who know that schlepping two kids and four pairs of skis and all the snow gear that goes along with um, the experience of um, a ski vacation, anything that's going to be uh, something that's going to make it less stressful will be a game changer. I totally agree. And while, uh, while Kim went first to let me think for a second, I, um, when you're talking about the ease of putting your, bikini in, in a suitcase and just going, I totally get on the, yeah, ease of, ease of the experience, how quickly you can do it. And uh, tech, from a technological standpoint, I guess to be specific for a minute, um, improvements on e-commerce platforms. Uh, I, I remember earlier, uh, earlier today, um, purchasing something on Amazon and I did it in two clicks. And to me, that is becoming the expectation by all of our guests to be able to process a transaction or not even have to process a transaction, just be able to go and do something, swipe a card or, or uh, walk through an RFID area and th they've paid. Um, so that ease of use is going to be really important. I, I guess on, on an operational front, um, there's a lot of things out there. Um, we've been, we've recently installed a new snow, snow making software where I could tell you right now how many, how many gallons we're pushing out of one particular gun on, on the mountain um, and being able to monitor some of that stuff and, and help our team uh, through difficult uh, times with temperatures um, and, and be able to maximize our, our windows for making snow, especially in New England here when sometimes it's an elevation game of uh, just a couple hundred feet with a wet bulb um, is, is critical. And then there's, you know, some of the other things that are out there like cloud-based 
cloud-based software platforms for monitoring snowcats or monitoring um, RFID uh, ticket use and, and what lifts people are or lodges people are in. So there's a lot of great stuff that's out there and useful and we should be taking advantage of it whenever we can because um, that's the way the world's going and the ski industry needs to needs to go in that direction as well. Um, I think one of the other things too is you know just how we communicate with our guests too, how we maintain our relationships um, with our pass holders, with our one-time visitors. You know, I mean, I think I think from a technology standpoint, one of the big things is just that being that you know being becoming more of a data-driven industry where we're you know less going off of our gut feeling and what's going on but we're really actually collecting collecting data wherever we can whether it be you know on on the snowcats or um you know on the on the scanning of of lift tickets and passes and things and really using those to to know our guests and maintain our relationship yeah thanks Nadia. appreciate that um so the next question uh Christina Matson, Programming Events and Partnerships Director at Suicide Six, Vermont. Uh, Christina, uh, for resorts that have small base areas with limited amenities, what recommendations do you have to capitalize on partnerships with local communities in order to create a richer mountain experience for guests? That's an excellent question. Um, I think that working closely with your local vendors and partners. Um, would help um, make for a richer experience um, in your mountain setting. Um, but, you know, I really, I think that every mountain, regardless of how small you are, and we're pretty small here at Solitude, I think specializing in um, experiences that could only be found in the mountain, are gonna, they're going to separate you. And, for instance, if you have the opportunity to, to do sleigh rides or snowshoeing to a to a dinner yurt, um, just something that kind of speaks to a specialized experience. I think is going to create a richer mountain experience for your guests. Kind of capitalize on what you have um, up in your area that doesn't cost tons but would be memorable because that's what you're doing. You're making memories other than just people sliding down the ski slope. I can chime in a little bit um, just because we, we are a resort at North Star where we do have a village and we have amenities and things here. Um, but we're also, as mentioned, you know, we're six miles away from downtown Truckee where, you know, a lot of the sort of action happens. And um, I think, you know, yeah, having the conversations with the chambers and doing the partnerships and, and you know, possibly even marketing partnerships and things like that to really uh, market the area um, as a whole and collectively. But you know, some of the specific things that we do is, um, you know, Truckee has an event on Thursdays called Truckee Thursdays, and that happens all throughout the summer. And we actually, um, we provide transportation for our guests to and from. So we we try to make that connection just a little bit easier. And it's not that, oh, everybody has to, you know, stay at North Star and only have a North Star experience, but we really offer them the ability and the chance to have an experience um, in Truckee as well. So great, come to North Star, stay here, have have the majority of your experience here, but you're, but also, you know, we'll help you with um, understanding what else is going on and what else can do here, and we'll even drive you there. So that's just a specific example. Uh, not really. I think I, I agree with Natalie made the comment of um, 
the the chamber or or even the local Rotary Club, but being involved in in the community and participating actively in those types of groups and listening to um, the local business businesses you have and and things that they're looking for and things that you could maybe help with or would help contribute uh, you'd help contribute to and could in the end help your business um, and, and and that's important especially in places where a lot of the times the resort's the economic driver of of the town that's right there and and that's certainly you know, one of the cases for us, we're a mile and a half from downtown Lincoln. Uh, so you, you have to um, really you pay attention to those people and um, con contribute and um, participate in, in local things. And um, I think it really, it makes you better as a community um, altogether. We want to extend a special thank you to Dr. Natalie Uwe and the Colorado State University Graduate Certificate in Ski Area Management Program. Dr. Uwe and her team are a key part of the Summit Series program by providing resources, deep dive exercises, and support to our mentees. Learn more about the Colorado State University Ski Area Management Program at www.colostate.edu. So our next question is from Katie White, Children's Specialist Snow Sports Supervisor at Yellowstone, Montana. Katie? Hi. My question kind of goes back to what Nadia was talking about earlier in our call, call um, and it's just in a fairly trans, transient industry, how do you envision cultivating future leaders that will help carry our industry for decades to come? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I don't think, and I think that one, that problem has been going on for a while. Well, I don't want to call it a problem, but uh, Steve mentioned very early in our call, um, what you're doing on the shoulder seasons to help keep people around. We are in a business that tends to be heavy winter or, or even some summer, but, um, and, and it's even getting more tough um, with the younger group that we have. Everybody throws out millennials, so I guess I'll say it, but um, what their needs are and what they're looking for as far as employment and life, life experiences changes the whole game from um, 30, 40 years ago. So, I, I think there isn't a really, to me, there's not a really good answer. It's more about being attentive to your people and recognizing champions and people uh, and people that are being successful um, when when you see them and let them know that they're doing a great job and be open-minded to listening to them and and be, um, be be there for them if they have questions. Uh, and and I think that could go a long way to keeping qualified, uh, great people around who, who have a passion for the ski industry or for outdoor rec, and if, if that's the case, if you're maybe more summer uh, orientated, but um, just by paying attention to them and, and um, helping them out, uh, I think that's good. I think on, on a, on a um, employee basis, uh, I, I think, you know, they need to be taught a little bit too sometimes to be patient um, about what they're doing and, and yeah, they might want to run the show, but um, sometimes you got to do some things along the way that um, aren't always the most attractive and um, any way that you can uh, articulate the fact to them that it's in some cases, maybe it's a big picture thing. It's a resume builder. It builds your tool, your toolbox, your skill set um, to bigger, better things in the future. Um, you know, it's important to communicate that stuff too. I mean, I, Katie, I think, I think our industry is, uh, you're right, it's transient, and I think it's, it has been and continues to be for good reason. 
Um, I think that historically it has been relatively poor pay. It has been not much in the way of benefits. The, the hours are long and they're condensed into a short period of time. And then you burst into a, uh, a spring and summer season where there's, you know, for our frontline workers, there's not much work for them. Um, it's difficult to get affordable housing within an hour of the place. Um, it, it's a challenge. And it's a challenge to attract people into that who don't have a relationship with skiing and snowboarding. And it's even more difficult to retain people into that environment uh, if you if you aren't going to pay them what they're probably worth. I mean, we need to, as an industry, I think, as individual resorts and as an industry, we need to be focused on that attraction and retention piece. The industry has, has historically placed a pretty high value on being able to come and ski at lunch. I mean, that's, if those days ever really existed, they're gone now. They're, that's not a reason uh, for talented young people to stay in this business uh, because they can go someplace else and make three times the money and still take vacations where they get to they get to ride a lot. Um, we need to pay folks. We need to benefit them. We got to figure out ways to help them retire. Sorry about that. Um, I think we we need to figure out a way to help them retire educational debt, which a lot of young uh, kids are going to be bringing into our resorts. Um, we got to figure we got to figure out childcare. We got to figure out retirement and all that. And I think once you attract them, you need to have great wellness and benefit packages to let them know that you care about them. Still, still, it's not going to be a, uh, an easy road, I don't think. And maybe throw in some phone lines to that mix too. Yeah, right. With <laughs> <laughs> right now is ensuring that they can provide those perks and benefits, and maybe not even wouldn't be considered perks and benefits, but just simply the basics uh, in order to keep yeah. people uh, keep people long enough so that you can identify them as leaders and and, and cultivate them for sure. Uh, that's the rea- that's the reality. I just follow up on that thought. The, the the notion of what basics are have changed dramatically in the last tw- you know last ten years, much less the last twenty years. So it's a, it's in terms of recruiting, I just think that we we all need to look at ourselves differently than we than we ever have. So um, we're coming into uh, the final uh, question uh, for all four of our mentors right now, and this is. Uh, this is the, your opportunity to um, really dispense your your wisdom in a in a very impactful and effective way here. So, and the question comes from Megan Wilcock, marketing manager, Mount Snow, Vermont. Go ahead, Megan. Thanks, Paul. What career advice would you go back and give your 27 year old self? Megan, that is an awesome question. <laughs> I don't even remember being 27. No, just kidding. Um, it, I think that um, giving myself a, advice at 27, just recognizing that there are a lot of opportunities and just make sure you um, take that calculated risk. Um, each time that opportunity comes along, grab the gold ring um because you just never know where it will lead and that's kind of kind of where my career has gone i think you know one of the things that i would remember my first supervisor job um i i became a little more serious than what my normal sense of humor would be because i felt like i needed to be or do something differently and and once i was in the position for a while and got some great um mentoring advice is that kim it's recreation and you need to have fun. In other words, if I'm not having fun, my guest is not having fun. 
So just making sure that you, you know, put things in perspective um, and um, uh, keep your keep your eyes on the on the prize. Um, what I hate this question first of all because anything I say is going to be a letdown here. It's a good question, but it. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just it's a difficult question. It puts us on the spot. And anyway, I probably would I probably would say resist the uh resist the urge to be a martyr and and die at the resort um coming up in the in the industry. And I've said this on a on a call before. All of the all of the folks um were trying to outdo each other with how many days in a row they worked and this that and the other thing and it doesn't really get you anywhere. It gets you burnt out. Uh it, you end up becoming jaded quickly. Um, and you know, this industry doesn't have any room for jaded people in it. Um, so take a day off, hang out with your family, get away from the mountain, get yourself, get your head clear sort of thing. Um, uh, I would try to work in other departments to the extent that you can, because it makes you more empathetic to what other people go through that are, that you're working along with. You work in marketing or accounting or finance or ski school. You can become very much, uh, focused on what you do as being the most important thing at the resort and that nobody gets you. And, uh, you have the most difficult position there. I think if you if you work alongside folks in other departments, you see what they go through and you become more empathetic, which is never a bad thing. And I think if you can figure out a way to train yourself to become a better listener, I know it's one thing that at you know 25, 24 when I got into the to the industry, I didn't do a good enough job of. I, I probably still don't, but I I find that every time that I shut my mouth and listen, I I end up you know, advancing myself somehow. So if you could figure that out at an early age, I would imagine you'd be a lot better off by the by the time you're 50. Um, well, I, I think uh, I was thinking about humble and and um, I'm I'm a relatively quiet guy. I speak up when I have something to say, and I I tend to consider myself as a humble person. And I was thinking back on this and when I was 27 and I, I, right around there, I actually did have, have um, a change in my career. And I, I guess the advice would be, um, you know, I quiet and work hard and, and be humble. But at the same point, um, I, I think I would tell my 27 self to, to speak up a little sooner and talk about my, um, my desires and uh, as far as my professional development and, 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 um, desire to lead, um, sooner to the people that I worked for in the, in the management of the, of the resort mm -hmm. company. Um, because it, uh, because when it, when it came up and I did, um, things really, really, I would say accelerated from there and, um, it grew into a, a great career. And, and now I, uh, I really get to, I get to help out at a fantastic resort and it's, it's great. So that's my advice, I guess. Um, may, maybe speak up for yourself a little bit, uh, but at the same point, um, be careful about what you say and, and don't be a nag. <laughs> yeah, there, um, uh, great. Uh, that's great advice. Uh, uh, there's a professor at University of Pennsylvania who talks about self-advocates who uh, tend to have a steeper accelerated career path than those who uh, try to just work their way through everything without saying anything. Um, uh, I'll think of his name in a second. But um, Nadia, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your advice to your 20, 27-year-old self? Yeah, so similarly, 
my you know my 27 year old self was still seven years away from working at a ski resort um and so i think you know i had i had a i had a 10-year career um in another space prior to working at a ski resort and so i guess what i would say is you know in, in that you know in general at that age i think it's I think it's a lot of the things that everybody else has said, but I also think it's um, be curious, ask a lot of questions. There's a lot of people around around you that have way more experience and way more knowledge, um, not just at the ski resort, but in life um, that can offer. And, and someone mentioned a mentor. I mean, I, I think that's an, another great way to go too, but I think be curious and, and really be, be curious about yourself as well and, and learn and figure out what your passions are. And I think at 27, sometimes that's hard to do, but the more curious you can be, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to experience. And I would say also um, kind of similar to, to what someone else said, you know, raise your hand, take advantage of the opportunities, try, try new things. 27 is still so young in terms of, you know, um, career and life experience that, um, you know, don't be rigid in your opinion of what you can and can't do and what you are and aren't interested in. You know, try new things, raise your hand, um, step outside of your of your maybe designated job description and be willing to uh, take on other responsibilities and, and other areas. I mean, I think at, at most ski resorts, there's no shortage of um, opportunities to provide a hand or to to kind of step in and um, provide assistance. So I would say just be curious, keep, keep learning and growing, and, and don't, be, don't be rigid um, about who you are, what you can or can't do. We have reached the final episode in our sixth episode run of the Summit Series program, but not to worry. We've got more episodes of PodSAM in the pipeline, including interviews with industry leaders, plus year three of the Summit Series. And we are so excited to announce the mentors for year three. Jeff Beliva, Vice President of Global Resorts from Burton. Greg Goddard, General Manager of Gunstock Mountain Resort, New Hampshire. Brian Heon, Vice President and General Manager of Wildcat Mountain, New Hampshire. Beth Howard, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Vail Mountain, Colorado. Chris McGinnis, President of Crystal Mountain, Michigan. Amy Oren, President and General Manager, Boreal Mountain in Soda Springs, California. David Perry, Executive Vice President of Altera Mountain Company. Carolyn Crowley Stimson, Chief Operating Officer of Wachusett Mountain, Massachusetts. Brad Wilson, General Manager of Bogus Basin, Idaho. And Hiram Toll, General Manager of Mount Ashland, Oregon. Those episodes are coming this spring, so be sure to like and subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM. <laughs>